0: The views and opinions expressed by a little bit culty are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the podcast. Any content provided by our guests, bloggers, sponsors, or authors are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, group, club, organization, business individual, anyone, or anything. Welcome to A Little Bit Culty, a podcast about what happens when something that seems like a great thing at first goes to the dark side and takes you with it. I'm your host, Sarah Edmondson.
1: And I'm also your host, Anthony Ames, aka Nippy. Sarah and I met, fell in love in a quote, self-help organization that turned out to be a mega cult called Nexium. Heard of it? We got out of there together and on our way out, we helped shut it down. Our journey as Nexian whistleblowers was captured in detail on a docu series called "The Vow" on HBO, and also on the front page of a newspaper,
0: New York Times, babe. Right? Have you heard of it? Each week on a little bit culty, we talk with other former cult members and whistleblowers. Plus, experts in things like cultic abuse and coercive control.
1: We also turn the mic over to advocates and clinicians with wisdom to share on recovering from everything from MLMs and toxic religion to bad romances with raging narcissists.
0: There's always something to learn about the cultiverse. Be sure to subscribe to A Little Bit Culty so you don't miss an episode. Find us on Instagram and at a (laughs) littlebitculty.com.
1: Here we are. Ask me anything, Sarah.
0: Well, this has been a long time coming. We've actually been getting questions from the audience over email. And then we posted on Instagram and curated an incredible list. Unfortunately, we're not going to get to all of them, but here are the answers to some of our favorites. Unless there's anything else you want to cover first. You look like you're up to something. I don't know. I'm I'm looking at you and like there's something up your sleeve, no. like you're some surprise.
1: No. no, no, no. I just didn't let you plan the whole thing. I so said let's just go on there and let her rip.
0: I could not plan. I could not plan. I mean, it's hard, but I can not plan. So before the questions, just an announcement. Another, (laughs) I feel like when I say that I have like a little mini flashback being in front of the class back in the cult days where I've got a clipboard and I'm like covering all the, you know, like next Saturday.
1: I was, I was the cruise director. I was like, so don't
0: forget. Friday, we have a potluck at the beach, followed by volleyball, which I never played, but people played. And we'd have like, you know, vegetarian potluck. And then I'd be like, Saturday class, ethos. And next Sunday, don't forget, Nancy's in town and we're going to be doing a coaching.
1: (laughs) That's what my dad says. Just keep her peppy.
0: (laughs) I was so peppy. I was so peppy. Anyway, I'm going to turn that peppiness into... More future awesome episodes. That's right. So again, so appreciate the list of suggestions. Some of the things we wanted to tell you that we have in the works, for sure, so you don't have to keep suggesting these ones, are Hillsong, OBS, Landmark. No doubt. Still, still working on that, but it's coming. Don't worry. One Taste. If you haven't heard about that, look it up. It's crazy town. What's the name. Um, Some different shamanic retreat centers and some treat centers where people are allegedly using various psychedelics for healing. QAnon. Playboy Mansion,
1: the cult of wokeness.
0: You can say that we are hoping that Evan Rachel Wood will come on our show and in touch with her and working on that. So again, stay tuned. And Eckhart, yeah. So if somebody wrote like, "Why would you interview Eckhart?" That's a cult too. And what's crazy is that we've been in talks about what makes toxic spirituality. And similarly to Cameron Harold talking about corporate culture, Eckhart will be in this in a similar position. You know, how does he know? There's not toxicity in his organization. And some cult experts would warn me against such things. But I think it's an interesting conversation.
1: No, he's an interesting guy, obviously. Yeah. We had some good conversations with him.
0: He's very open and has been actually quite helpful in my healing in a not culty way. Believe it or not,
1: a couple lunches isn't very culty.
0: No, I didn't get any sashes or pay for anything. So, Nippy from Red Point 12, thank you so much for your great podcast. I've been watching The Vow. Keith comes off as so slimy and repulsive, but he had to have been charismatic to pull it off. Was he both? Did anyone out and out tell him he was a creep?
1: I think eventually people out and out told him he was a creep. You know, I'll answer it this way you have to understand, Keith was able to get to a lot of influential people. Now, a lot of people will go, oh, I never would've fallen for that, blah, 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 And you're probably right and you're not our audience. But to the people that look at that and see the slimy, like he was different with different people and he was effective. He was able to get to the Dalai Lama. He was able to get to CEOs and have them come do our training. So he was doing a lot of things right. And I think, you know, when you watch The Vow, they're not going to show that past a certain point, right, Sarah? Like they showed how we got in.
0: It's hard also to put yourself in a situation where you take dozens of hours of training, where somebody is edified as to being, you know, the smartest, one of the smartest people in the world and a problem solver and the creator of this amazing, quote, technology. If everyone around you and all the leadership that you already admire and already put on a pedestal are saying things about them, if you're not a you know, a skeptic and you don't have the tools for the red flags, you're going to believe them because why would people lie about such things? I mean, we know now why, but put yourself back in that position. By the time you meet him, you're already, at least for me, I was already really respected him. I wasn't looking at him as a, you know.
1: Your skepticism (laughs) had been turned off a little bit.
0: My skepticism had been turned off. And also I respected what he had built, but I wasn't like, oh, is he attractive or not attractive? I wasn't seeing him through that filter. I think when you know what he did and you watch him now, he. Absolutely looks slimy. But when you're there and you assume or project good intent, then he was, you know, he came across in lots of different ways to different people. Like Nippy said, warm, concerned about your welfare, or your success, you know, inquisitive, curious. He came across a lot of different ways, not just slimy.
1: Well, remember when we were watching Holy Hell the other day, I was yeah. watching at Jaime's behavior.
0: Yeah. The leader's behavior.
1: I touched you on the back, mimicked him to you. So those are all the tactics that I think he used to transcend his slime and repulsiveness, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, all these leaders do a lot of eye gazing. And as we talk about with Will Allen and Holy Hell. But yeah, watch Holy Hell and you'll see some similarities between that leader and Keith in terms of the eye gazing and the connecting with the client, with for lack of the better word, victim. Yep. Kim Vanderhoek says. Is there any information that would have prevented you from joining Nexium if you'd discovered it? Like, if we knew he was having sex with everybody, would you have joined?
1: Oh, absolutely not.
0: Yeah. (laughs) If you knew that it was a front for his personal harem, would you have joined?
1: Yeah, who Keith really was.
0: Yeah, and any of the things we know now, I think, would have stopped us
1: in our tracks. No name given. So this is an anonymous person. Do you feel like from start to finish, you were given false information on ESP or Nexium and what they had to offer? Or do you think that the program itself changed at a certain point to become corrupt? Like, was it created with good intention and turned dark?
0: Well, we've since learned that Keith knew what he was doing from the beginning. I think that some of the people around him created it with good intention, but I think that he always knew he was going to create something that would draw people in, that provided value, and created dependency. And that's what the personal development side of it was executive success programs yeah. it's not like some of the other things we've had on our show where it's like a good person whose ego got to them
1: right i wouldn't add much to that i just think Generally speaking, when people are going to do dark, they're going to have to attract people of light and they did it with the curriculum. So I think this is what his MO was the entire time. And
0: good segue to the next one. Uh, No name on this one. Do you believe Nancy's relationship with us and Mark was genuine or do you feel like her and Keith had a plan for you or a purpose that you were supposed to play from the beginning?
1: I mean, Nancy fell into the job of the concierge of ESP a little bit, right? You went through her problems. She tried to take on the mom role, it seemed like.
0: I think there's part of that that was legitimate, that felt authentic. But it was also, she always saw everybody as like, what can you do to serve the company? Yes. And she saw, especially Mark and I, as like recruiters and bringing, you know, Hollywood to them and using us as that, like, you know, it's access to VIPs,
1: yeah. you know? Well, her EMs always came down to what was best for the company in the name of your growth.
0: Yeah. hundred percent.
1: This is from Corb is my homeboy. Oh, I think this is Mark Corbishley, a friend of mine. Do you ever get tired of talking about your experience or talking about abusive relationships and experiences? It's such a heavy topic.
0: Certainly I do. In fact, I didn't really realize how heavy and how stressful it was till I went to Hawaii with you and the fam and didn't do anything in this space except for review one episode for the pod. And it was a load off. And I think that like it's, it's really tricky and actually goes right to the next question of, from Wanderlust is how have you kept yourselves being traumatized while interviewing others who discuss their own traumatic experience? Those questions kind of go hand in hand. And that's a, a key thing, I think, for, well, maybe more so for me, because I have a different kind of trauma than you, is I've failed at that, actually. Like, I've left certain interviews and been really triggered isn't even necessarily the right word. I'm, I'm upset. I'm sad. I'm a bit on edge, like a bit stressed. And I really... Thanks for reminding me of this always. Like we have to go for a walk and we have to Mm -hmm. shake it off and like, you know, go for a walk in the woods, whatever, whatever it takes to like transition out of that. Yeah. Doing something physical
1: is important to do, I think right after. Yeah. Which you do a pretty good job of.
0: Thank you. Also, we kind of have to for the kids. Like it's yeah. not cool to bring that into the family life, into the weekend. And we're, we also have really good boundaries about that. Like really trying to keep weekends family focused and oriented. And we try to stay off our phones.
1: I get re-traumatized when I see, I wouldn't say re-traumatized per se, but I find I'm most sensitive to, I see the way people being treated for having different belief systems on either side. When people just abandon civil discourse and start attacking character. And I, I have a real aversion when I see that bad juju, as you like to say.
0: And also leads to this question from Ali Brook five. What are some grounding techniques or boundaries you've had to establish when it comes to talking about your trauma and talking to other people in their trauma? I hear some of these stories in your podcast and it breaks my heart for these people. And I have to take a mental break for a week or two because it drains me. Bento box in particular. I think we've had that also, which which is why we've been trying to balance the heavier, trauma slash abuse stories with more lighter or less dark content for us and for you as our listeners, because it is really intense in terms of boundaries. Like, you know, I'm not a therapist. Nippy's not a therapist. Sometimes I get so caught up. This even happened in in Nexium where somebody would be sharing something upsetting. You know, they would cry and I might cry with them. Like, that's not what a therapist normally does, like they try to be there and be empathetic, but not emotionally go on that same journey. So that's something I struggle with, as you may have noticed in the episodes, <laughs> that I get a little emotional.
1: Well, you announce it every time. <laughs> well. <laughs> I was teasing her about it the other day. Like, be sure to announce that you're emotional <laughs> in this podcast. I'm it's little, great. No, I'm it's, a little It's verklempt. the soul. It's the soul. I'm a little emotional. Yeah.
0: But I also feel like there's an element of that that's cathartic for me it just sure. because I'm emotional isn't, isn't bad. Like I have felt a lot of healing for my own journey as I relate to other people going through similar things and feeling less alone and feeling meaning in being able to create content about this for people that helps other people that I don't know that really, you know, I get emotional about that too. And that's very positive.
1: Yeah. What? Yeah.
0: I'm not crying.
1: No, I am not no, no, no.
0: crying. No, no, I like I'm not that gonna
1: about cry. you. I, mean, I'm my, I think it's an admirable characteristic. No, thanks. I don't necessarily use grounding techniques, but with, in terms of boundaries,
0: you do grounding. I think I think working out is your grounding.
1: Yeah, that is my yeah.
0: <laughs> Mine's yoga, literally going and lying on the ground. I've talked about this many basketball. times. Epsom yeah. salt bath. And he plays basketball. I eat grounding foods. I have this like hot turmeric drink that I drink at night that helps me sleep. Not going to say the name because I want them to be a sponsor. Working on it.
1: This is from Sophia. Do you ever think you will communicate, have a relationship with Lauren again?
0: I personally hope so. I like to have that closure. I want to give her a hug.
1: A relationship.
0: I don't know if we'll have a relationship. We'll see. Time will tell.
1: Yeah, I don't think we're going to be sitting around the campfire, sipping cocoa, reminiscing about the time. What are your thoughts on the whole life coaching phenomenon now? Are there good life coaches? If so, do they have certain attributes or certifications?
0: I'm personally kind of allergic to it. Me too. I think if you're going to be spending money, you should spend money on a trained therapist. A lot of life coaches haven't done a lot of training not saying there aren't good ones out there. I'm sure there are fabulous life coaches. Just generally for me, just the terminology used by life coaches is very parallel. Well, exactly the same as you know the terminology in Nexium, anything from goals and success and accountability and responsibility, all that stuff is like, I just don't like it. Doesn't mean it's <laughs> not good. I think it's like a lot of these things. You have to do your research, see if there's if there's any controversy or, you know, around somebody, I would say that's there's probably some merit to it. And not everything is a smear campaign to take down the leader. That's a red flag also. I don't know. I think that there probably is uh, actual attributions and accreditations that are legitimate. I just don't know what they are. Maybe we'll do an episode on life coaching.
1: Yeah, good idea.
0: Hey, so Nip, Whitney Peterson says, out of all your guests, which topic or group surprised you the most in what you learned?
1: Well, I have a couple that stand out. I love Montel's book, Coltish. The one I find myself thinking about here and there is the girl, Samantha, who went down to the, uh, was it the white supremacist? one. Mm -hmm. And only because she was really smart, is really smart. And the conversations we had with her outside of the podcast and stuff to me, and what I learned from her episode, because she was really brave, she was vulnerable. And from my perspective, took pretty good responsibility is the cult of the algorithm and how it really just happened going on watching YouTube channels. And it happened to someone who was pretty smart. And that was one of our earlier episodes, like our third or fourth or something like that. And that's when I recognized like, how deep this stuff can go and how easy it can happen. Like from your computer, like from, from AI mm-hmm. really is what, you know, made me aware of. So that one to me, I still just kind of think about a lot. And there's a lot of others that deepen our understanding of it as well. But that one to me is, it's like, mm-hmm. this can happen to anyone like in, with a computer. And that was my first awareness right. of that.
0: I think generally the thing that surprises me the most, <laughs> like with every episode is just how the template never changes. Like every episode, I'm like, wow, it's the exact same mm-hmm. thing every time. Almost to the point where I'm worried that the episodes will become redundant because it's like, okay, there's the love bombing and there's the isolating you from society and there's the criticizing you so that you, you feel then dependent on the leader to fill the void like all the things over and over and over again. Oh, you're sh- you're being shunned for leaving. Oh, there's
1: litigation. You can't trust the media. Yeah, the prepackaged gaslighting.
0: Yeah, the prepackaged gaslighting. Like you see it, you see it so clearly now. Recently the thing that surprised me the most is when Gina Wilson was still able to have what appears to be, I'm no expert, but a healthy faith relationship, even after what happened to her. I feel like so many of our survivors are so skeptical and just so like unwilling to have any kind of like connection to the thing that they left.
1: Mm -hmm. Tess T. Coles wants to know your pin number to your PayPal account.
0: (laughs) Tess T. Coles? Oh. Testicles? Oh, is
1: that a joke by Jess? (laughs) Oh, (laughs) look at that. She also wrote
0: Lee Kibum, who is your least favorite member of your production team? Oh,
1: without a doubt, Jess Tardy. Thank you, just Leaky hard. Bum. He's the
0: best. Thanks, Leaky Bum, for weighing in. Super bravos, super bravos. We kind of touched on this already. Do you feel you're permanently jaded by your experience? Like you'll always view interactions through the lens of mistrust for possible bullshit and bad intentions? Eh, a
1: little bit. <laughs> a little yep. bit. A little bit. Yep.
0: It's really hard to know what's yeah, what. Yeah,
1: I just kind of go mm, when someone makes when someone makes a bold assertion about themselves. I'm kind of like, mm, probably not. <laughs> Probably not.
0: Back to the top here. So Meredith Turner asks, I'm rewatching The Vow and noticing so many wild claims by Keith Raniere that are never challenged or questioned. Like when he meets Alice and for the first time and claims that art is pointless. What tactics did he use to create an environment for room without questioning? Was it subtle and or direct messaging from other members before you met him that you never question him, or was it an unspoken understanding? Was everything he said so word salad that coming up with a question was impossible? Is there a way to recognize when these tactics are being used in the moment? I have thoughts. You go first.
1: So people did question and the tactics that were used, I think we've covered a lot of them. Gaslighting is a big one, making it your misunderstanding of the problem rather than what, what it is that you're seeing. To
0: interject, Nippy, when you say when people questioned, nobody ever stood up and was like, what the fuck? This is bullshit.
1: That went on not in front of him. People were like, what the fuck with the sashes? What the fuck? At least when I did it my first time, people wanted to get rid of the sashes and the rules and rituals for the five day. People are like, it's too much for people. Maybe if they come to the second, sixth day. And they did that for a while.
0: Yeah, but once we were in and like once we were bought in and there was like a forum where the upper ranks, if he did a forum, there'd always be a microphone at the end to ask questions. People would come up and it would be more like, you know, I see this, but I'm also wondering, like, that wasn't totally my experience. And then he'd come back with some sort of like basically underhanded thing about the nature of why they were asking that in the first place and how that related to their life issue. Sometimes people would even get in trouble for asking something of Keith. The rule was, if you can find that information out elsewhere, don't ask Keith. It's a waste of his time. First of all, you only ask him things that only he can answer, right? So that was one thing.
1: Well, it was also a way of controlling the questioning.
0: Yeah. So it had to be in a way really personal and meaningful You know, I think you even see this in The Vow and we're going to rewatch it soon. Like, I don't even remember this because asking questions was very traumatic, but I did stand up and say something that didn't feel right. And I got humiliated, if I recall. Like, I mean, that was sort of how, like, even if I asked a question then I smiled, especially if it was in the Jeunesse program, he would like smile back at me and indicate that I'm being flirtatious, right? And then I'm embarrassed. And then I don't ask a question for another decade.
1: So he's shaming you. It's cancel culture. It's his version of cancel culture.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And then other people see that and go, okay.
1: Why would I want to put myself through that?
0: Yeah, you're you're basically being under a microscope in front of him and the leadership exposing your deepest vulnerabilities because if I ask anything like about anything about parenting or my relationship or the meaning of life. Whatever I ask will expose my issue. So people learn to like. I mean, I probably asked three or four questions my whole time there in public. I mean, like standing up in front of the, with the mic and asking a question to Keith. But generally, if you had a question, more of a concern, you were always instructed to never go to your downline right. or to people that you coach. You always had to go up. So that means somebody of higher authority in the ranking system. And I would, you know, often go to Mark or to Barb Jeske, Barboucher in the early years, and they would you know, either EM me or they would have me go back and journal on it. Like it was never, thanks for that feedback. Like, let's incorporate it.
1: To answer the specific question, was it unspoken understanding? There was for sure an unspoken understanding. But only when you went to Albany, there wasn't unspoken understandings with the majority of time we spent outside of there. The closer you got, the more the unspoken understandings, I felt them more. Yeah. Is there a way to recognize? Yeah. If you can't question the person, that's the person you need to be afraid of. If there's anything you can't question under good faith and, and have a civil discourse and there's repercussions for it, that's probably the person that's abusing power, right? Yeah. In any hierarchy, in any domain, that's the case. You can't come ask me a question
0: I feel like you're going to get in trouble. Yeah. So yes, to answer Meredith's question, it was subtle and direct. It was both subtle and direct about the way that you question or question anything. I remember there was a higher ranking woman from the Pacific Northwest who asked something publicly in front of the other coaches. And she got like in trouble for that. And she had to actually many people, if they did something like that, they would have to fill out a breach form about how what they did affected the group, affected themselves, affected all of
1: humanity. How often did that go on, Sarah? I would say that happened a lot. Really?
0: I hate to say this. I was a green sash nippy. (laughs) So I saw that... congratulations. (laughs) I was a higher rank than Nippy. We don't like to talk about that. No, just saying that I think that happened a fair bit that people had to fill out a breach form.
1: I just don't remember it. I knew it existed. And I remember looking at it. Well, you
0: didn't do it.
1: I I knew it existed. I remember looking at it and going, is this a fucking joke?
0: Yeah. Like I remember on the green meeting, if you were late for the green meeting, you'd have to fill out a breach form. So if you were late, you had to fill out what's called a mindful reschedule. Is this a mindful reschedule? Why or why not? Okay, so somebody wrote, I'm not gonna say her name. No, I failed to be mindful and enter my coach points. If this is not mindful, is it a breach? And what are the effects? So she wrote, breaches are far reaching. I continue to live my life reactively and not put into place the tools and habits I know are there to avoid failing when there doesn't need to be a failure. It's a decision of laziness and comfort over change and proactivity. By making the decision to do this and having failures that aren't real failures of missing data, but a failure in choosing to push and be more successful, I limit my own belief in myself, what I'm capable of achieving, the tools of ESP and what they're capable of achieving and hold the team and center back dealing with small piddly things rather than things that truly need our time, effort, and resources. Jesus. That's what the person wrote about not entering their coach points. How did you communicate this failure? What steps did you take? No, I didn't. So I'm sending the breach form now. How did they respond? To be determined. <laughs> this is the kind of thing you had to fill out if, in this case, you were late. Now, I started to realize that I could submit them and no one was reading them. <laughs> So I would just copy and paste I, from Emilianos, who was always way more articulate about it than me. So i copy and paste about how my breach affected humanity if I was two minutes late for the meeting. So this was not a question, but I have heard people ask this in the past, is like, how were Nippy and I different? Nippy wouldn't fill out the form at all. He'd be like, cut my pay. But because... I was so dependent on the company and I wanted to be perceived as a a good girl. I would do the things, but like, not really. So I submitted my breach forms, but it was just copy and pasted from Emiliano and regurgitated every time. (laughs) Because nobody read them. Nobody even checked if you entered your coach points, but he had us doing all of these things. So time consuming. Anyway, that was a great question. Thank you, Meredith. Tell our stories. We change the world. A Little Bit Culty is proud to support the Hashtag I Got Out Project, which empowers survivors of cultic abuse to share their stories online as a catalyst for education, prevention, and healing. Learn more about the Hashtag I Got Out movement and find resources at igotout.org.
1: Hey, we all have those days when the thought of cooking or hitting the grocery store just feels like too much, right? But let's be real. Takeout can really put a dent in your wallet, especially when you've got a family to feed. Our boys are growing like weeds and they are hungry all the time. But meal kits have never really been a hit for this family before. Not until Home Chef's family menu. It's a hit for us. Home Chef provides delicious chef-prepared, oven-ready, and express meals for the entire family, even those picky eaters. Trust me. Home Chef's family menu is a lifesaver, offering four servings at prices starting as low as $3.77 per serving. That's only $15 for an entire family dinner. Plus, they roll out 18 fresh options.
0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. As you can probably imagine, being in a cult for over a decade took a toll on some of my relationships with my closest friends and family. And something that has helped me mend those relationships has been working on my most complicated relationship of all time, the one I'm having with me. Therapy has been a great place to work through all that tricky stuff and can help you in your relationships too. Whether it's with your friends, your coworkers, your significant other, or anyone. Things like coping skills, boundaries, communication. You can practice any of that in therapy and see big differences. I swear by therapy. Oh boy, do I swear by it. Yep, I love this journey for me. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's all online and you can schedule around what works for you. And all you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist. Plus, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. No brainer. This is the time of year when people talk about finding their soulmates, and you can always become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit BetterHelp.com slash today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot slash
1: What sort of advice do you have for people to protect themselves from further emotional or legal harm if they are fearful of retaliation legally, emotionally, and otherwise?
0: I mean, it's so hard. Right from the beginning number of experts are like, you know, take care of yourself before you go into activist mode. And I was so, you know, hurt by the betrayal, but also just enraged that this could go on that I was that wasn't really an option for me. So I kind of was working on my healing whilst, you know, dealing with all the legal stuff and trying to expose what was happening. So like protecting yourself emotionally, if you can find a good cult informed trauma informed therapist, and we'll have some episodes coming up about that, but always recommend a lawyer if that's the route that you need to go. Retaliation from the group is a very real thing, but I think it's as the cult awareness golden era continues, it's less likely because there's all these templates now that are exposing coercive control.
1: Yeah, there's an understanding of it now.
0: Yeah, in the legal system that's different, thanks to the case with Keith and also R. Kelly and Epstein, like this is... Prosecutable in a different way now.
1: I don't know what do you think, Nip? I would also uh, like say no. Yeah, I say no to a fault. Sarah says yes to a fault. I think that combination allows us to make. I'm not going to say perfect decisions, but decent decisions, good decisions, and set your boundaries, know them, and take care of your body, like your health. A lot of people go to like substance. We went to like health and wellness, and I went to like working out just because I knew stress was coming and I wanted to be physically okay, to kind of like we were going to take a punch, right? Like that's what it felt like. We were going to take a punch mm-hmm. in life from a force that we exposed.
0: Yeah, we had one therapist say, every day you got to sweat it out or cry it out. Right. From Lady Eternal 84, how have you managed to remain married after leaving Nexium? Do you feel like you had to relearn or rediscover each other?
1: No, like I said in the, one of our first episodes, this whole experience has confirmed the person I, mar- I thought I married. Same here. Yeah. You make friends in life and you don't really know what the friendship is until something externally threatens it, right? Or stress, or there's some sort of trauma that happens and then the friendship is confirmed Mm -hmm. or it was false, right? You know, guys have a term of like, is he a foxhole guy? Meaning if you were in a war, would you want that guy in your foxhole next to you? Would he stay and break every bone in his hand to defend like, or a street fight, right? And- I found out more people are that way than I thought. And I found out people that front that way or posture that they are that way aren't. And the whole basis of a friendship for me is like, if that moment happens and they don't come through, there's not a whole lot you can do to get the friendship back. I've seen your character. Yeah. Right. And similarly with the spouse that you choose or the woman you choose to be with, like it's even more important to come through with that for the other person and for you to demonstrate that to me. I mean, that's what vulnerability is. I decide for you, I'm going to trust you with my heart and vice versa. (laughs) Right. And yeah, it's been hard. We've had had our moments, but our biggest fight is like me getting in a fight with siri and then after the fight sarah was like siri was right (laughs) (laughs) i was actually pissed i was like what the? how are you gonna fucking side with siri on this
0: i couldn't agree more i love what you just said nippy and i think we certainly found out who our friends were in this whole debacle
1: to be fair too other people had their things going on and couldn't be there right so it doesn't mean that they're any less friends it's just the people who really inconvenienced themselves saw our situation and were light in our lives. You know, that's it. You don't have to do anything else in life. For me, you're a lifer. Yeah, you can have two or three of those. Life is better. We have a lot.
0: Yes, and I do think we did have to relearn or rediscover each other because you know we, I got this term from Stephen Hassan's book about you know the cult identity. I think my cult identity was a little stronger in terms of it was a it was a thicker mask. My like Sarah in Nexium. Whereas I feel like you were probably more you.
1: (laughs) I was also humbled by it. You got to understand. Yeah. I was walking around a city failing to get people to do it because they were Googling this guy. Nobody was taking it. You were in a city where it was fully embraced. Yeah. It's like little adversity. You didn't have media the same media problems that we had. So it was actually cool. For me, it was kind of a it was kind of egg on my face and it wasn't working.
0: But you were still you.
1: Yeah, I had my boundaries.
0: You had your boundaries. But either way, there are time in the cult we were super, super, super busy. We didn't really have time to connect no. deeply or like even spend time. We yeah. didn't have a honeymoon, everyone knows that. But afterwards, then there was the fight. And I feel like just now we're like. You know, part of the move to Atlanta is to start fresh. And, you know, I want to date again. I want to get to know this, you know,
1: incredibly
0: intelligent, handsome, witty. <laughs> Should I go on?
1: No, you can stop there.
0: Okay. My point is, is I do feel like we're starting fresh. In addition to what Nippy said, we also have an incredible couples counselor. We see every six weeks or so. And we have good communication. But we have to remember to do things like go on date night. But Life gets Troy,
1: busy. Troy, call you Insta mom this morning? <laughs>
0: teasing me for being on Instagram. Insta mom. Thanks. <laughs> uh,
1: he's getting funny. Oh my God. This is from Ivana Tinkle.
0: <laughs> Who wrote Ivana Tinkle? Probably Jess. Yeah.
1: What's your dream role or dream show that you'd like to get an acting part on?
0: I would love to be in succession. That'd be fun. Um,
1: okay. Um, fine. All right. Okay. Um, so no, that's not going to happen. Um, okay. So, right. <laughs>
0: That is an impression of Nippy being Kendall Roy from Succession, <laughs> who we fucking love, and we love the dialogue in. Okay, yeah, what? all right, sure. In Succession, people who watch Succession will know what we're talking about. Apparently, we need to r- watch Righteous Gemstones, which we have not yet. It is on the list.
1: Righteous Gemstones been pounding down our throat. I keep yes. thinking it's Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems.
0: Uncut Gems. So we also want to. With, I mean, I'd love to be in any period piece from any period other than now. <laughs> other than now. Love to be in a um, Jane Austen. Really? Anything? Yeah, like, I'd love to, like a Downton Abbey. Oh my god, that'd be incredible. Downton Abbey, like any kind of period piece. I like dressing up. Okay, Nippy. What? Did any of your friends or family stop talking to you because you keep trying to get them into Nexium, even after they told you they weren't interested? From Kitty Sue.
1: Um,
0: I mean, there's people in your family who aren't talking part to you, of that but question, for other I don't know
1: yet because I keep finding out. But some people, it was hard. Some people were like, yeah, whenever I was around you, that's all I talked about. But two of my best friends that I tried to get in, totally cool with me about it. It got to the point where I didn't bring it up around them. And that's why they're still my best friends. And they never did it. And they were like, when it was over, like, dude, you never needed that shit. <laughs> it was so funny. the <laughs> question. Like when it was over. But you know, a couple people told me, yeah, it was hard to be around.
0: If there are people who aren't talking to us, we don't no, <laughs> yeah,
1: Like maybe a handful of people, I was like, you really should do this. But then I, just, I wasn't comfortable in that role. So it's probably like four or five people that I've, I've since reconnected with and been like, yeah, dude, it was weird when you did that. And I'm like, sorry. Like, hey, get it. Hope you're okay. That's been the extent of it. But no, it's mostly positive.
0: Yeah, mostly positive, I would say, for me too. Yeah, my real friends were just like happy to have me back.
1: You're around them in a more authentic way. I had friends that I tried to enroll and didn't do it. And I stopped. It was never brought up again. But there's certain people that like you're not trying to enroll anymore. And then the friendship's different because it doesn't have that energy.
0: There definitely is peripheral people that every time I saw them, I probably brought it up or like bugged them in some way. But my close friends that I've known for two decades that weren't going to do it, I still was telling them about what was going on in my life, but I wasn't trying to enroll them. Certainly it taints those relationships and there's a a period of healing and forgiveness. But the ones that were like judgmental and tough on us when we were in, some of them like aren't at this point going to like watch the vow or listen to the podcast and understand us better. There's still like... Well, I knew it was a cult the whole time. So that's that's kind of hard. What?
1: Do, do that voice again?
0: Well, I knew it was a cult the whole time. No, it wasn't good. It wasn't quite as good. Was, I knew it was it a cult. Was I mean, I totally saw it was a cult. Everyone knew it was a cult. I tried to warn them.
1: Reap what you yourself. No, I don't know. I don't think there's that many people out there. I, it's kind of like, I don't know, when you see someone get the effect of what you thought was going on, I think generally for most people their compassion kicks in. They're sorry it happened.
0: Yeah, most people. Most yeah. people, most people. And I think I've said this in another episode. Like, if you say that you knew, then you're an asshole. We're not going to the police before us. So there, you're not really an asshole.
1: Most people don't. Like you're talking about a very s- small margin yeah. of people.
0: Most people were like, that seems a little off or weird or culty, but they couldn't figure out exactly what it was. And it was also balanced by what seemed to be, a, you know, that I seemed to be thriving.
1: For me, Sarah, when people were like, how the fuck could you fall for that? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, for me, I'm like, I'm kind of agreeing with him. <laughs> like I make allowance for it. You know what I mean? Like, cause that was, yeah. the, that was, those were our questions.
0: <laughs> Knowing what you know now, it's easy to go. How you, could you fall for it? That's yeah. part of the reason why we do this podcast. So we can show what it looked like at the beginning. It's not even that we didn't have critical thinking because this program was called a critical thinking program. We were just critically thinking based on a false assumption. Mm-hmm. The false assumption being that Keith is good. Like nobody would ever question that. Because that would be ultimately suppressive, right? And would expose that you were suppressive based on the projection.
1: One of the things that was kind of clever about it is that there was kind of a corporate environment of building a business, even though we were never really building it, which kind of made Mm -hmm. it have sort of a corporate feel when you were just away from all the stuff that we found out. Yeah. It did have that feel. You had like centers. Anywho,
0: Hey, culty listeners, lovers of cult busting content, ALB seers, culty kids, hmm. We've gotten a lot of requests to put up a link where people can throw some funds up behind the podcast and help support what Little Bit Culty is doing. And you know what, that's a great idea. Thank you for that. And as we've gotten to know other podcasters and learn more about this whole podcast thing, we've been learning that it takes a whole lot of different resources and different sources of revenue and listener support to keep it rolling. Sponsorships and ads and the occasional appeal to amazeballs listeners like you. That's why we added a way for anyone who wants to support the show to do exactly that. You can go to a littlebitculti.com slash support or the link in our Instagram bio or smash that link in our show notes to make a one-time contribution or a recurring one. We will pay your support forward with a galactic level of love and light and healing resources, of course. Again, it's a littlebitculti.com slash support or check out the link in our Instagram bios. Next up, we really got to figure out what to call you, our listenership, ALBC Nation, flying monkeys? We're going to have to workshop that. Thanks, guys.
1: Spring has sprungeth, and you know what else is springing up? Hair. All across the land, people who have added neutrophil to their hair health regimen are waking up to healthier, thicker manes. And that's a beautiful thing, because hair thinning is complicated. And the problem is, it's actually much bigger than your hair alone. Like your skin, hair is a reflection of your health, and internal factors can impact the way your hair looks, feels, and grows. Nutrafol's whole-body approach multi-targets underlying root causes like stress, hormone fluctuations, and nutrient gaps for visibly thicker, stronger hair. And that's why we're thrilled to be on Team Nutrafol. Nutrafol is a number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol's women's hair growth supplement for six months. 86. I like those numbers. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to nutrifol.com and enter the promo code CULTI. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code CULTI. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code CULTI. Hey, we all have those days when the thought of cooking or hitting the grocery store just feels like too much, right? But let's be real. Takeout can really put a dent in your wallet, especially when you've got a family to feed. Our boys are growing like weeds and they are hungry all the time. But meal kits have never really been a hit for this family before. Not until Home Chef's family menu. It's a hit for us. Home Chef provides delicious chef-prepared, oven-ready, and express meals for the entire family, even those picky eaters. Trust me. Home Chef's family menu is a lifesaver, offering four servings at prices starting as low as three seventy seven dollars per serving. That's only $15 for an entire family dinner. Plus, they roll out 18 fresh options.
0: Okay, a couple more questions here. Nippy, do you ever worry about falling into another good thing that turns out not to be so good?
1: I do not worry about that.
0: You feel pretty bulletproof at this point?
1: Nope, I don't, but I don't <laughs> worry about falling into like another program okay. or anything like that. I fail right now. I'm trying to avoid most
0: programs. <laughs> <laughs> that protects us. Yeah. And someone said, I'd love to know how much effort you need to put into preparing for each episode. You seem well-versed in the topic, guest, and well-prepared. Why, thank you.
1: And it varies.
0: It varies. Yeah. If yeah. someone's written a book, I generally read it. In fact, Nippy and I usually try to consume different things. If there's a book and a docu-series, usually we, we watch whatever is out there already to research. But if there's multiple articles, we'll split them up. And sometimes we do that so that we can ask different questions and come from a different sort of knowledge set, but sometimes up to like 10 hours.
1: I'm obsessed with, you know, when I ask questions, I look for how the person understands the abuses of power that went on and try to get their interpretation and their words on what they saw. And it's, we've gotten just multiple perspectives on the same thing. Right, Sarah, wouldn't you say? I mean, that's yes. one of the things that we were saying earlier. We've got multiple perspectives and where there was a deficit of language before, we have so many explanations for it and what it looks like and sounds like. And so hopefully our audience recognizes that it's undeniably going on out there. Here's how you can see it and here's what it looks like and here's what it sounds like. Or here are the questions to ask when you see these symptoms, right?
0: Yeah. And somebody asked if we're helping other people take down their leaders in that bento box really disturbed and upset me, which was true. She said, or he, I'm not sure, happy chaos. Are you doing things behind the scenes you can't talk about? Yeah, actually, there's lots going on to try to get people the resources that they need. Media resources, legal resources.
1: It's an important distinction to make there too. Like the objective isn't particularly to quote, take down the leader. For me, it's not this crusade of doing that. I think through education, you expose the leader. And then the leader decides if they want to double down on their lie. (laughs) <laughs> right? You make it undeniable. People can get
0: the research, right? right? People can read and hear, read these articles and listen to these podcasts and go, mm, maybe I don't want to be a part of that. And I can pull my can life force away decisions. from it. Right? Yeah.
1: It's just how to get sensitive to it and how to expose it, right?
0: Totally. But truthfully, like that can't be our lives. You know, the cult busters. Like it's it's so... Back to the earlier question about like boundaries and trauma and stuff. Going through that with the Bento Box Gang, as we call them, (laughs) was really intense because we certainly were on that ride emotionally with them as they broke their news, as things went live. And then there's a Rolling Stone article that was written shortly after. We'll put a link to that in our show notes. So watching them go through that was rewarding in terms of like, you know, people left that group because they saw the truth for what it was. Some people doubled down and stayed in, which of course happens in every group, but many people left. And got friends out, and there was a whole flurry of things behind the scenes. as
1: and we'll continue. You know, people to. were
0: being and continue to be right. like you know, people were stopped from getting on planes because they were going to go to a retreat, and like lots of things are happening that are not part of the podcast. To the point where like we're growing our teams, we can handle all this. It's a lot, and a reminder that we aren't experts. If you feel like someone's in a cult and you want to do an intervention and get a team on board, there's a number of people who do that from different sort of perspectives and approaches. And a lot of that information can be found again on Sarah slash resources. Second to last question. Deanna, I know we need to be open to the idea that no one is immune to cults and everyone thinks it can't happen to them. Do you think you're immune from cults now? Yeah. I mean, I think that knowledge does grant immunity to a degree, way more so than, you know, the knowledge that we have now is is much more protective than what any of us had in the early 2000s when this all started, right?
1: Yes, for sure.
0: <laughs> I mean, even if I'd watched Holy Hell or like Wild Wild Country or any of them, The Vow especially, it's like, it's all out there. Okay, last question.
1: Katie Lynn, 898. What has been y'all's favorite discovery about the world outside of Dexium? What has been your favorite or most meaningful experience post-escape?
0: On a person-to-person level, I have really enjoyed meeting people and just meeting them. It was impossible to meet somebody When I was in Nexium and not think about which program they would like the most. Would they be a good fit for jeunesse or perhaps acting in the source? Would they do a five day or ethos? What were their limitations? How did they see the world? What were they struggling with? Those are the things that were in my mind whenever I met somebody. And it was very it was just such a relief to meet someone just be just be curious and like ask questions about their lives and have no hidden motivation. Even though my hidden motivation had good intention, still it felt icky and I didn't know how icky it felt until I didn't feel it anymore if that makes sense. My most meaningful or favorite experience post-escape, just like living life and doing simple things like Saturday pancakes and going to the farmer's market and getting farm fresh eggs.
1: I like taking a nap with Ace.
0: Taking a nap with Ace is the best. Can you just like snuggle up with him and have a nap together and oh, your I feel arm just is recharge. his
1: Kids are awesome.
0: Kids are awesome. I think that's it. So guys, a couple quick things. I really appreciate everybody writing in to come up with a name for you, the listeners. So far, we haven't landed anything that feels right, but here's some options. The croutons, I guess in relation to word salad. Mm-hmm. The 120s. The balls; The little bits. The unfollowers. And that's it. Thank and you
1: for taking the time. To-
0: everyone's listening every week who's making those one-time contributions and monthly contributions already thank you your support for a little bit culty truly is amazeballs i'm going to keep that word
1: you have no idea how much that helps seriously appreciate that all right and on that note
0: so that's the end for ask me anything we'll post again and do it again soon because that was fun until next time thanks everybody Bye. bye imagine yourself walking into a forest you can see the path and the trees high above you The air is crisp. You are walking towards your happy place. Allegedly, allegedly, say it with me. Anything said here on this podcast about alleged cults, alleged MLM schemes, alleged douchebaggery, mindfuckery, criminality, spiritual fraud, or the like, is offered purely as commentary. Because the views and opinions expressed on A Little Bit Culty do not necessarily reflect on official policy or position of the podcast. And any content provided by our guests, bloggers, sponsors, or authors are their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, group, club, organization, business individual, anyone, or anything. So just let these words drift into your mind without needing to focus on any of them. You are great. You are capable. You deserve to be happy. Nobody's mad at you, unless you're actually a narcissistic, culty criminal. If that's you, cut that shit out. Don't be a fuckwad. But if that's not you, again, you are great. You are capable. You deserve to be happy. A Little Bit culty loves you.
1: Sinking down to the dust. Let's keep the conversation going. We'll be back soon with more episodes of A Little Bit Culty with more experts and survivors. And sometimes experts who are survivors as well as some familiar faces from The Val from HBO. If you've got suggestions or questions on upcoming topics, find us on Instagram at a little bit culty.
0: And for more background on what brought me here, my memoir Scarred: The True Story of How I Escaped Nexium, the cult that bound my life, is available on Amazon, Audible, and where most books are sold.
1: If you'd like to help us spread the word about a little bit culty podcast, please give us a 5-star review and tell your friends to subscribe.
0: Seriously, like take out their phone and tell them to press subscribe. It takes a second. We're also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every major listening app. And if you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe over the cover art of this podcast to find show notes and helpful resources.
1: You might also find some offers from our sponsors there. And when you support our sponsors, you help us keep this podcast going. Just don't be a little bit culty about it.
0: A Little Bit Culty is executive produced by me, your co-host, Sarah Edmondson, and Anthony Nippy Ames. That's me. Associate producer is Jess Tardy. Produced, edited, mixed, and mastered by Citizens of Sound. Our amazing theme song, Cultivated, is by John Bryant and co-written by Nigel Asselin. I'm Sarah Edmondson, and thanks for listening to A Little Bit Culty.